Well, isn't it true that sometimes you need to shut things down and reboot them to get them to work better? You agree with this? You ever, anybody ever have to do that to a cell phone or a computer or some other device? Things get bogged down and, and you got to kind of reboot them. Hey, that's what this series is all about. If you're a first time guest with us here today, this series is called Reboot. And, and what we said is that it, January is a great time to take some time to reboot our lives and uh, kind of get things started on the right track. And uh, has it been helpful to you thus far? Those of you who have been here, helpful to you? Awesome, awesome, very exciting. Uh, so today we're gonna kind of push down into the series a little bit more. We're in the middle of this series. And uh, what we've said is that this series really is about you. It's about improving your life. It's about improving the quality of your life. Do you believe your life can get better? 1%, 2%, yeah? Uh, hopefully you believe that and you strive to make your life better every year. And, but we also said that this series is not about you because you are just one of seven billion people on this planet. And uh, you're probably not one of the three people that won the Powerball, uh, but because uh, you're here tonight. Uh, but but you're still part of the human race, and isn't that amazing? That 1.6 billion dollars, incredible. Did you, did you play a ticket? Did you? Did you? I'm not going to tell you if I played a ticket or not. But uh, no, I, I actually, actually, I don't think it's a sin or anything. I just didn't, I just didn't think I'd win, so I didn't play one. But anyway, somebody won, big time. Where am I right now? Okay, we're in the middle of a series called Reboot. So the series is about you, it's not about you. And the reason why it's not about you, again, because you're, you're just one of seven billion people on this planet. And so the story cannot be about you. You cannot be the main character, that's impossible. The main character in this story is, of course, God and specifically Jesus Christ. And what he's done is he's invited you and I into his story to be part of his story, to play a role. And, and that's exciting, that's called eternal life, to kind of partner up with God to fulfill his will on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, Jesus gave us the prayer called the Lord's Prayer, and we're to pray it every single day. And part of that prayer is simply this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, because you've been coming to this series and you're gonna keep coming to this series, you're gonna be able to quote that prayer at the end of this series, right? The Lord's Prayer, if you don't already have it memorized. So that's exciting. And we're to pray that every day. We're to say, God, my, my heart's desire is not to do my own will. It's not to build my own kingdom. It's to partner up with you to build your kingdom, to further your will on this planet. And so thank you for inviting me into the story, and I wanna do my part uh, to accomplish your will on this earth as it is done in heaven. And that's very, very exciting. There's, there's, no, there's no more exciting way to live this life than to be a partner with God. Do you agree with this? Yes or no? Very, very exciting. And so we want to talk about improving our lives so that we can be, actually be better partners with God. We talked about our health and fitness in week one so we can have more energy. We talked about our finances last week so we could have some extra money. So when God taps us on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to help that family. I want you to help the, this person pay their medical bills or their rent. You actually have some extra money to be his hands and his feet to, that, to those people who are in need. So today what I want to do is talk to you about another area of your life that you need to, be, that need to have rebooted, and that is your spiritual life. And it's really not an area, it's really your whole life. I want to talk to you today about rebooting your spiritual life. Uh, see, when we push down into the scriptures and we try to discover what's the one thing that God wants to do in this world, like what's his heart? There are a lot of things that he would love to do. He would love to, you know, eradicate evil and one day he will. He will totally you know, wipe out evil and there'll be no more evil in the, in the world and, and that's, that's coming in the future. He would love to, to, to fix injustice and he would love to you know, put every orphan with a family and you know, wipe out cancer, I'm sure. And, and there's things that God wants to do on this earth. But what's the number one thing that's on God's heart? 
When we open the Bible, it becomes abundantly clear. Before Jesus left this earth, he said, hey, here's the deal, guys. I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples. I want you to make followers of me. And I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I want you to teach them everything I've observed, uh, everything I've taught you. In fact, in the book of Colossians chapter one, we, we read it in a different way. Paul said it this way. He said, him, that is Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When we ask ourselves, what's the thing that God wants to do in this world? Here it is, right here. Three times he says, everyone, 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 mature in Christ. The goal, the reason Jesus Christ came into this world is to create little Jesuses, little Christs, little Christ ones, people who, who would follow him and become like him. How many of the world's problems would go away if this world was filled with little Jesuses? Would prostitution be a problem? Murder be a problem in this world? Would divorce be a problem in this world? If, if there were millions upon millions of mature people in Christ, yes or no? Ah. If we had a bunch of little disciples, most of the problems in the world, if not all, would go away because people would be like Jesus Christ. That's the goal, that's what's on his heart. Now here's the challenge, here's the challenge for you and for me. How in the world are we supposed to develop or make or present everyone mature in Christ if we ourselves are not mature in Christ? See that? See, we can't take people places they've never been before. Do you agree with this? I believe 100% what John Maxwell said. He said, we teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Do you believe that? We teach what we know from the head, but we reproduce in our children who we are as people. See? If I want to present every man mature in Christ or every person mature in Christ as a pastor, I have to go first. I have to first become mature in Christ. Yes or no? Agree with that? The problem all too often is that Christ's followers are not mature in Christ, so therefore they can't take someone else and help them become mature in Christ because they're not mature in Christ themselves. Does that make sense? So we need a spiritual reboot. Not for our own sake, so we can enjoy God and a closer walk with God and feel his spirit, and of course all that happens, but so that we can be better partners with him. You might need a spiritual reboot in your life if you feel distant from God today. You just don't, you're not even sure, you know, you feel, you're kind of lukewarm. You might need a spiritual reboot in your life if you have a, con, uh, a habitual sin that you cannot overcome. Just maybe it's anger or greed or lust or something like that. It's just kicking your tail year after year. You might need a, re a spiritual reboot in your life. You might need a spiritual reboot in your life if you're consistently discouraged and down and depressed all the time and you lack joy and you lack happiness. You might need a spiritual reboot. You might need a reboot if the words that come out of your mouth are always discouraging and destructive. <laughs> Death and life from the power of the tongue. What who, what, what, what kind of effect do your words have on people? Are they hurtful all the time? You might need a spiritual reboot, right? You might need a spiritual reboot if you look at your relationships and there's just tension in every single one of them. You might need a spiritual reboot. You might need a reboot if, if you're constantly doubting God and you're really not sure if he even is, exists or, or, or why even pray if, because you're not even sure if he hears your prayers and doubt kind of plagues your life. Am I talking about you today? You might need a spiritual reboot if doubt dominates your spiritual life. 
You might need a spiritual reboot if you're looking for a sense of value and worth from all the things that this world has to offer instead of Jesus Christ. You know, your body, Facebook, how many likes did you get on Instagram? <laughs> all that stuff, right? Am I important, am I valuable? You're looking in all the wrong places for your sense of value and worth except God. You might need a spiritual reboot. You might need a spiritual reboot if, if you have no taste for spiritual things, right? It was a drudgery for you to come here today. <laughs> you might need a reboot. It's like, oh, I don't want to go, but I'll go because she asked me to come or he asked me to come, right? You, the Bible, Bible reading, ugh, gross. You don't, even, you, don't even, you don't even know where your Bible is. You don't even have a Bible. <laughs> if you do, it's lost in the house somewhere, right? Worship music, you don't listen to it, right? You know, prayer, you never even try. And you might need a spiritual reboot. If, if spiritual things, you have no taste for them, no taste buds, if they're not delicious to you, you might need a spiritual reboot. You might need a reboot if you're just simply rude and unkind and not very nice. <laughs> And I need a reboot. And, there, and there's some people out there like that, right? Need a reboot. You might need a reboot in your life if all the people and the closest people to you in your life are, are, are running away from God. The closest people to you want nothing to do with Jesus. You might need a reboot. So I, I wanna give you a reboot today or I'll show you how to have a spiritual reboot, not so that you can have a better life. It, that will happen. But I want you to be a better partner with God. We teach what we know, but we reproduce who we are. Does that make sense in our lives today? See, I believe with all my heart that, that we must be transformed if we're gonna be great partners with God. In your notes, that's the way I wrote. We must be transformed. Actually, I'll, I'll, I skipped the slide here. We'll go back to this. When you and I are not in the right condition, we're, we're, spiritually speaking, we cannot be used by God. We're just, we're, we're, we struggle. We struggle to be used by God. There's a great author who, who uh, actually came to know Christ because of uh, C.S. Lewis, actually. He became friends with C.S. Lewis. His name was Sheldon uh, Van Auken, and this is what he said. Watch this. He said, the strongest argument against Christianity is also Christians. He began this quote by saying, the greatest argument for Christianity is Christians, but the greatest argument against Christianity is also Christians. When they are somber and joyless, when they are self-righteous and smug, he goes on and he says, when they are narrow and repressive, then Christianity dies a thousand deaths. See, when you and I are in the wrong condition spiritually, we cannot be used by God. In fact, we're, we, we actually have a negative effect on the people in our life. And so what, what, what the answer is, in your notes there, is that we must be transformed. If we're gonna be good partners with God, we must be changed. What really matters is who we are as people on the inside, the quality of our lives. Are we becoming like Jesus? Dallas Willard said this, I love this quote. He said, the quality of our souls will indelibly touch others for good or ill. Who you are is what matters on the inside. See, every single one of us have a, transfer, a formation. You are a type of person right now. And, and, and in large part, that's because of, of the circumstances in your life and the, the home you grew up in and the schools you went to and the friends you have and the, the habits that you have. You are a type of person. And that, the quality of your soul touches people. Does that make sense? And when it touches people, it has an effect for good or for ill. And so the greatest tool, the greatest, the greatest uh, way of, oh, that you can become a, a partner with God is to, is to take care of the quality of your soul, to be transformed, so that when you touch people, you have a positive impact on them. I'll never forget a friend of mine, uh, years ago, before I really actually became friends with him, he was coming, he was sitting in the back, and he was listening to my talks, and you know, uh, he wasn't convinced, but he was starting to open up a little bit. And, and so we started to hang out a little bit and spend some time together. And then one day I asked him uh, to, uh, 
to do some work in my house, some sheetrock work. And so uh, he came over to my house, and, and it was like a three-day job or something like that. The inside of my garage needed a bunch of sheetrock. And so as he was there, I didn't know this, but as he was in my house, you know, watching uh, my family interact, he was observing my life. He was observing the quality of my family life, the quality of my soul, how I interacted with my kids and my wife. And it come to find out, uh, a couple weeks later, he said to me, you know, I, I really, now that I kind of saw the way you live in your house and not just on this platform preaching, and I saw that they kind of match up, I think I get it. He ended up taking a step forward in his relationship with Christ. And, and now, by all means, I am, not, I am not the perfect person. I, am not, uh, I did not tell you that story to say, hey, look at me, I'm like Jesus in my house. Because my wife will tell you 17 stories, or probably a lot more than that, of how I totally screw it up. But I didn't even know he was watching. What was he watching? He was watching to see if my, if my lifestyle, the quality of my family life, matched to the, uh, the things that I was saying from this platform. And what, evidently he found enough evidence to believe that there was a, some congruency there. See, people forget most of what you say, but they don't forget who you are. Does that make sense? Your, your character. So what does that look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit is being developed in your life. And what is that, the fruit of the Spirit? It's the result of letting the Spirit lead your life. In Galatians chapter five, this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. In other words, when a person is mature in Christ, their life is a seamless stream of the fruit of the Spirit. Not perfection, not perfection, not sinlessness. No, 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 I'm not talking about that. I'm just talking about evidence that, that the character of Jesus is actually inside of you. And that is more effective in reaching people for Christ than preaching at them. Do you agree with this? It has an effect on them. You know, when the Apostle Paul was talking to his young protege, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, he said something incredible, and I want you to hear what he said. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21, he says, hey, Timothy, if you keep yourself pure, you'll be a special utensil or an instrument or a tool for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master, of course, who is Jesus, to use you for every good work. You know what he's telling him? If you take care of your insides, you will be prepared and ready for the master to say, I got one here, let's use this guy. Let's use him to go preach, let's use him to go impact, let's use him to go serve, let's use him to go advance my will on earth as it is in heaven. Why? Because Timothy, you got yourself pure. You cleaned up your life and now you're ready and now you're prepared. See, if you and I are gonna make a difference and present everyone mature in Christ, we have to go first as individuals. We have to take care of our inner being. And so that's what a spiritual reboot is all about. It's not just for us. It's for the people who we will touch in this world. Do you know people who need Jesus? <laughs> Come on, do you? At work, in your home? Do you know people who need Jesus? Guess what, God wants to use you to reach them. So let's talk about a spiritual reboot through that lens. How do you do it? How do we, how do we perform a spiritual reboot on ourselves? You ready for this? This is gonna be fun. Number one, three simple steps. Number one, a spiritual reboot requires you to repent. It requires repentance. What is repentance? Repentance is this little word, metanoia is the Greek word. It means to turn. 
It means to have a change of mind. It means to acknowledge that my life has gotten off the rails. It is outside of the will of God, and I know it, and so I need to turn from doing things my way and turn back to doing things God's way. It's that's what repentance literally means. Something incredible that I don't even know I, if I can explain it to you happens when we repent of our sins. God comes close to us. That's the best way I can explain it. When we turn from our sins, God just is drawn to us like a magnet. I want you to hear what Peter had to say when he was preaching his first sermon in Acts chapter three. He says, now repent, turn from your sins, and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. By the way, after he preached this sermon, 5,000 people got saved. It's pretty, pretty powerful stuff. And watch this. Then, after you turn to God, after you turn from your sins, then time of, say it with me, refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. What an interesting phrase in Acts chapter three. If I turn from my wickedness, my sin, all the ways I know I've gotten off track, away from God's will, if I turn from those and turn back to God with, my, with all my heart, God says, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm going to refresh you. The word simply means to, to give you your breath back. To, to be able to refresh you, to catch your breath. Picture diving into a pool on a, on a hot day after exercising or working out. You just like, you're totally refreshed with what? What are you refreshed with? The very presence of the Lord. You know, I, I believe that Peter was talking about the Holy Spirit. And he comes and he fills you up and he refreshes your soul when you repent of your sins and you turn back to God. I remember in, in, in Psalm chapter 51 when David was talking about, you know, repenting of his sin because he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. You remember that story if you're a Bible reader? If you're not a Bible reader, there's this great story about a king who, who basically committed adultery. And uh, he, in Psalm 51, he's confessing his sins to God and he, and he turns back to God. I want you to hear one of the things he says in chapter 51, verse 17. He says, the sacrifice that you desire, God, after you screw up, after you commit adultery, after you sin, after you steal, after you lie, after you do, after you do something wrong, here's what God requires. A broken spirit. A contrite heart. Listen to what he says. You, God, will not reject a broken, and say it with me, repentant heart. It's like God says, oh, you're gonna come back? You're gonna, you're gonna come back to me? I'll come back to you. And I will fill you. And I will refresh you. Because you acknowledge that you got off track. And he comes and he, and he's close to the brokenhearted. He can't resist it. He's like a goner. He's a hopeless romantic in some ways. Here's what's incredible about God. No matter what you've done, no matter how far off track you've gotten, some of you are here today, you are so off track. You have gone your own way, and you don't even think God would ever take you back. Not true. As soon as you turn, and you come back to God, man, he just has oh, been waiting for you and he fills you and he refreshes you and he puts his arms around you 
Step one in a spiritual reboot is repentance because times of refreshment come from the presence of the Lord. Some of you need to repent today and start over with God. The scriptures say in Lamentations, his mercies are new every morning. You wanna know why I'm tearing up? Because I screw up every day. I screw up, I get off track every day. And when I turn back, I go, God says, come on back. Every morning, his love reboots for you. Did you know that? Every morning, his love starts over. It's like he says, let's hit the restart button again. You got off, welcome back. You got off, welcome back. That's God. Anybody excited about that? Man. It's called grace. It's called mercy. Turn back to God. Number one, repent is the first step. Repentance is the first step of rebooting. Number two, number two, and I love this one. A spiritual reboot requires meditation. A spiritual reboot requires meditation. The Apostle Paul said to his young protege, Timothy, and I use that example a lot because that's, we get this discipleship relationship with an older man discipling a younger man, training him. Listen to what he said in First, First Timothy. He says to Timothy, here's what I need you to do. I need you to train yourself. I need you to train yourself to be godly. I need you to train yourself to become like Jesus, to develop the fruit of the Spirit. You know what the word train means? To train. It does. It's amazing. It's very deep. Uh, <laughs> Some of you have trained for a, uh, uh, to pass a test. Some of you have trained to, to run a marathon. Some of you have trained to, to take a new job. You had to go into some training. You understand that training is work. You understand this? Anybody? Yes or no? It's work. He said, you got to put in some work. You want to get into some spiritual shape? You want to be godly? You got to get down and dig and you got to grind and it's going to take some work. You got to train. There's lots of ways to train. You can, you can devote time in prayer. You can devote time in silence and solitude. You can devote time fasting. You can devote time to being in a small group. And, and, and we're not just being in a small group, but opening up your heart and, and, and to, to the others to be able to speak into it, to be able to help you. That's different from being in a small group, okay? But there, there's a lots of ways you can train. The number one way that I have found well, the most effective training mechanism that I have found and when it comes uh, to becoming like Christ or developing the fruit of the Spirit is meditation, hands down. Meditation. There's a lot of uh, misconceptions about what meditation is in our world today. Some people think, you know, meditation is, you know, you're supposed to climb up on some mountain and fold your knees and, you know, you know hum, hum, you know. It's, just, it's not. It's not. No, it's not it. That's not it. Okay. Meditation is a Christian discipline. It's a Christian method of training to become like godly. All it is is focused thinking. It's not an emptying of your mind. It's a filling of your mind with the truth of God's word. What we do is we take the words of God and we focus our minds and hearts on those words. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life to you. Right? And what happens is, as I take the word of God into my mind and heart, my life is constantly directed and redirected back to who God is and what his will is and what he wants for me all day long. See that? See, repentance turned, helps me to turn away from my sin and doing things my way, and, and, and I turn back to God. Well, how do I know what God's ways are? God's ways are discovered as I meditate on his book. 
right? Listen to the instructions that God gave Joshua as he was getting ready to go into the promised land. One one day we'll do a whole series on Joshua. Wouldn't it be fun? We're going to do that. We're just going to study his life and the promised land, all that good stuff. He's the guy that took over for Moses. Anyway, we'll do that in the future. But listen to what God told uh, Joshua. This book of the law, the scriptures right here. He said, and at that time they only had the Old Testament. But I want you to take this book of the law and I don't want you to let it slip from your mouth. Don't let it depart from your mouth. In other words, I want it to be on the tip of your tongue. In other words, I want you to be able to, I want you to be talking about it all the time to everybody who's around you. Joshua was the leader. To your kids, to everybody, who you come in contact with. Well, how did it, how do you keep the word of God on the tip of your tongue? Watch this. And you shall, say it with me, meditate on the book. See, it's focused thinking on the words of God. I want you to meditate on it every now and then. See that? When you're not busy, Joshua, when you have some downtime, I'd like you to take the words into your mind and heart. Is that what it says? No, it says, I want you to go crazy with this thing. I want you to do it in the morning. I want you to do it at night. I want the word of God rehearsing, going, going, going all the time, which by the way, that's what it means to meditate, to mull over, to chew on, to to, to just keep it running through your mind day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. In other words, you discover what God wants when you meditate on the book. When you meditate on the book, watch what happens, Joshua. Remember, he's getting ready to go in to take the promised land. Okay, there's people who were living there. There's going to be some fighting going on. Watch this. When you do this, here's what's going to happen. It'll make your way prosperous and then you'll have good success. Now, those two words in America mean different things. Those two words in America mean money and houses and cars. That's not what God is talking about here. He's saying, Joshua, you take this book and you meditate on it day and night and that you may observe to to do everything that's written in it. And when you do that, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be prosperous in what I want you to do. You're going to have success in in what I have told you to do. See that? You're going to be a great partner with me. You're going to lead my people. You're going to lead them into the promised land. This is about my will. Joshua, this isn't about your will. See, you're going to be successful in doing what I want you to do. Well, how did he get that? He took the words, the book, and he meditated on it, and he followed it. The same thing can be true and the same for you and me as we take the words into our lives. It constantly directs and redirects our life back to God and God's will. Let me give you a few examples, okay? This is, I love, I love some down-to-earth examples. You ready for this? Let's talk about marriage. Anybody married here today? <laughs> some of you want to be married. Some of you are going to be married. Some of you have been married. You're like, never again. What, for those of you who are married, what if you have been meditating on Romans chapter 12, verse 10, which simply says, outdo one another in showing honor. This is so powerful. Outdo one another in showing honor. Men, what if every interaction you had with your spouse, you had Romans 12, 10 going through your mind day and night. Outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo one another in showing honor. How would that impact your marriage? In every conversation, you were honoring her. In every interaction, you were honoring her. Wives, how would that change your marriage if if every interaction you had with your husbands, I should ask the husbands here. Husbands, how would that change your marriage if your wife was outdoing you by honoring you and respecting you? Do you know what what the the, the greatest thing that, that helps us avoid abuse inside of marriage? Do you know what it is? It's respect. It's respect. You cannot respect somebody and abuse them at the same time. Yes or no? right? Outdo one another in showing honor. And you had that in your mind. Oh, your marriage would skyrocket. 
What about self-control? That's a big one. <laughs> With food and spending and alcohol and, you know, all these different things. Got self, anybody willing to admit you have a self-control problem? I do. <laughs> what if you had Proverbs 25, verse 28, just memorized, just, just, just meditating on it, day and night? Here's what it says. It says, a person without self-control is like a city broke with broken down walls, no protection. Just going through your mind when you would go to the store, when you go here or go there, just reminding you that you need self-control. What about spending? Let's just talk about spending. What, what if you had Luke 12, 15 just memorized and you had been meditating on it? You know what it says? It says, beware of all kinds of covetousness, covetousness or greed because a person's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Life is not about what you own. What if you just had that? in your mind, and every time you went into a store, you just had Luke 12, 15 playing over and over and over in your mind. What about discouragement? What about discouragement? Those of you who struggle with that, and we all struggle with different things. What if you had Isaiah 41, 10 memorized? What if you had been meditating on it day and night? Here's what it says. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my right hand. What would happen? To discouragement in your life. Your life would change because you have the word of God flowing through your mind and through your heart. Some of you say, well, I can't memorize Bible verses. I'm old. <laughs> that's, pardon me, but that's, that's a bunch of crap. That's just <laughs> what that is. Right now, if I asked you to quote some of your favorite lyrics from songs, you'd be able to do it. You know what that is? How'd you, how did that get there? How'd those songs get lodged in your head? Repetition and focus thinking and on the radio and you're playing your MP3 players or your CDs. Do we should still use CDs? <laughs> That's all it is. You can memorize, so you can meditate. You just have to put forth the effort. Does that make sense? It, meditation redirects directs and redirects your life back to God and God's will and God's ways. It puts you back in the flow of his life. If you can picture God's life like a river, when you repent, you're jumping back in the river. And when you, when you meditate, you're staying in the river. <laughs> Does that make sense? Now let's talk about this third one, number, number three. How do, you get, how do you reboot your spiritual life? It requires obedience. A spiritual reboot requires obedience. We don't like to talk about this word. We think it's restrictive, but it is so liberating, it's incredible. It brings so much life. The spiritual life is about following the master, right? One time Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are, le are tired and worn out, and, and, and you'll find rest for your souls. Take my yoke upon me and, and learn from me. The yoke of Jesus, what is that? It's his teachings. It's what he taught about anger. It's what he taught about anxiety and fear. It's what he taught about sexuality. It's what he taught about how to treat those people who've hurt you and wounded you and abused you. Most of his teachings can be found in, or the, the big chunk of them can be found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. My yoke, he says. Come, and, and when you take my yoke upon you and you learn from me, here's what you're going to have. You're going to find rest for your souls. In Matthew chapter 7, after Jesus got done delivering all of, most of his teachings, okay, that he was a rabbi, and disciples followed the teachings of the rabbi. Does that make sense? As disciples, that's what we do. We have a master. We follow his ways, his teachings. After he got done with those teachings, here's what he said in Matthew chapter 7. Watch this. Everyone who then who hears these words of mine, what words? The words he just got done teaching in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Watch. Everyone who hears these words of mine and say, say this with me, and 
does them, obeys them, follows them. This person will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock. Now watch this. Then when the rain falls and the floods come and the winds blow and beat on that house, it will not fall. Why? Because it is built on the rock. (laughs) You know how you build your life on the rock? You know how your life becomes solid? When you follow the teachings. When you do your, when you, when you, when you, when you follow my words on anger or, or, or money or sexuality or, or forgiveness, when you, when you follow my teachings and you obey my teachings, you're building your life on a solid rock so that when life hits you, and life always hits you, someone dies, someone gets cancer, there's, there's a financial problem, there's an annoying person in your life. and life comes at you, your house doesn't fall. Why? Because it's built on the rock. Obedience, Jesus says, leads you to the life I have designed for you. Obedience leads to abundance. That's the way, that's the life. I can reboot my spiritual life by looking back into into the teachings of Jesus and saying, where have I gotten off? What am I disobeying? Because Jesus would go on to say, and I don't have time to really get into all of it, but he would go on to say in the next breath, you know, but the person who hears the words that I speak and and doesn't do them is like a foolish person who builds his house on the sand, and then the winds come and the floods come, and guess what happens to that house? It falls apart. Do you want to live an unshakable life, yes or no? A life free of fear and free from loneliness and free from anxiety and free from lust and free from anger. Does anybody else want to live that life besides me? What do you think? I want to live that life on the rock. Well, I have to follow the teachings. I have to obey the master. His, his life, look, that, this is me staying in the river. This is you staying in the river, finding those teachings and obeying those teachings and staying in the flow of God's life. That's the spiritual life, following the master. Obedience unlocks abundance in our life. Now, what is it that would motivate obedience? What is it? Because there's a lot of people that obey, but they don't really want to obey, but they know they have to obey because God is God, right? So they grudgingly obey. You have a child like this? Were you like this growing up in your house? You were obeying on the outside, but on the inside, you were disobeying. <laughs> that can happen to us in our faith, right? We're just like, ah, I'm going to do this, but I don't want to, but I'll do it because God said so. How do you obey with a willing heart? Jesus tells us in John chapter 14, watch this. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them or obeys them or follows them, this is the person, this is the girl, this is the guy who does what? Who loves me. See, love is really the motive. Love for God. What is love for God? Love for God is simply the choice to do what is best for God at all times in my life. What is best for God? Is it best for God that I repent, yes or no? You never thought about it that way, did you? Is it it best for God that I repent? I know it's best for me, but is is it what's best for God that I repent of my sin? Yes, it is, because guess what? If I, purify, if I purify myself, I become a, a special utensil, ready for honorable use, ready for the master to use, to do any good works. So it's best for God that I repent. Is it best for God that I meditate on his word? Is it best for God that you meditate on his word? 
Absolutely. Right, because you become a vessel, a tool, a, a partner that he can go do this or that with, right? Is it best for God that I obey? See, the answer is yes to all of the above. Loving God is doing what is best for God, and what's best for God is that I repent and that I meditate and that I obey, and the same thing is true for you. Watch what Jesus says as, as a bonus. He says, and, by the way, the one who loves me will be loved of my Father, and I will love him too, and then guess what I'm gonna do? I will manifest myself to him. Similar to the idea of refreshing your soul when we repent. I will reveal myself. Does anybody wanna know more, know Jesus more intimately? Does anybody? You wanna know his heart more intimately? Would you like to hear his voice more often? Would you like to know what he wants you to do on a daily basis? Obey him. Why would he show you any new information if you're not gonna obey the information he's already given you? Right? Go back to the basics and look at, what, look at things you already know that you're disobeying. Go back and obey those things and guess what he's gonna say? Guess what he's gonna do? He's gonna reveal even more of himself and more of his will to you. You reboot your spiritual life by obeying. And you find the motivation to repent and to meditate and to obey by loving him, which is why the first commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Isn't that interesting how that all comes together? Loving God is the motivation, doing what is best for God. So I have three questions for you as we wrap up. Number one, what do you need to repent of? Come on, if you don't leave here and do some homework, what's the point? Right? What's the point? You gotta go home and make a list of the areas you need to repent of in your life. Is it greed? Is it anger? Is it jealousy? Is it gossip? Is it rudeness? Are you unkind on Facebook? You laugh, but it's crazy out there, it's what some of you say. Talk about not being effective for God. Wow, okay, we're gonna do a whole series on that coming up soon. Um, what do you need to repent of? Number two, will you start to meditate? I gave you marriage. I gave you, you know, examples on self-control and, and, and uh, you know, uh, I forget. <laughs> I need to meditate more. And then number three, where do you need to obey? It's simple homework, simple homework. You gotta go do this stuff. You gotta go repent, you gotta go meditate, you gotta go obey. If you wanna be a great partner with God. Now, let me, let me close by saying this. This is work, flat out work. Now, we're not earning God's grace. Grace is not opposed to, to effort, it's opposed to earning. We're not talking about earning God's favor at all. We're talking about partnering with him putting in the effort, training ourselves to be godly. Yes, you must put in some work if you wanna be a great partner with God to do his will on earth as it is done in heaven. Now, but to get things started, it requires no work at all, zero work. In fact, if you work to try to gain God's favor to get things started, it doesn't work. <laughs> Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter two. He says, for it is, a, it is by grace, a sheer gift, from God that you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God. Paul continues and he says, it's not by works, lest any man should boast. 
Salvation, knowing Jesus personally, is a gift. It's something that it is received by faith. When you reach out to him in faith and you say, Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose again the third day so that I can be forgiven of all my sins. And you place your faith in Christ. What you're receiving is a free gift. You don't earn anything. There's no work involved. It's like Christmas morning, right? You give gifts to your children because they were good all year. <laughs> you give them to them because you love them. God says, look, I loved you so much that I sent my one and only son in this world that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. It is a gift. And perhaps in this very moment, you'll turn from your sins and you'll put your faith in Christ for eternal life and receive that gift. You say, how do I do that? Well, it's right here. Through faith. Not through works, not through earning, through faith. I'm gonna lead you in a prayer of faith right now. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ, you can bow your head and close your eyes. In this very moment, you will become a child of God. Your sins will be forgiven and you'll receive eternal life. If that's you right now, I'm gonna ask you to close your eyes and bow your head. Express your faith to God right now through this prayer. Dear Jesus, I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe three days later you rose again. Forgive my sin. Wash me. Make me your child. Help me to walk closely with you and to follow you for the rest of my life, repenting, meditating, and obeying your word. Ultimately, so that I can be a great partner in doing your work on this earth. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you just prayed to receive Christ and you put your faith in him, our church would love to put a Bible in your hand. It's a one-year New Testament. There are tables in the back of the auditorium. If you put your faith in Christ today, please go back there. Just let them know. They'll put one of these in your hands. And here's why we do this. Because we understand that you need to begin meditating. We understand that you need to begin reading and obeying and discovering what God says. There's no better way to do that than to get in his word about five minutes a day, 10 minutes a day to start with, writing things down, underlining things, taking his word into his heart, into your heart and into your mind so that you can obey him and find that life he has planned for you. Can we give God glory today for what he's done? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much. You've given us the instructions. You've given us the path on how to walk with you closely through repentance and meditation and obedience. Ultimately, God, our heart is to, to partner up with you to reach people with the gospel. Our world is hurting, filled with people who are searching for fulfillment and happiness in all of the wrong places. We know that it's found in you. We know that true abundant life is only found in Christ to help us, help us to mature so that we can help others mature. And we'll give you all the glory. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen. God bless you. Next week is week number four of Reboot. We're gonna be talking about our relationships, rebooting our relationships. You're not gonna wanna miss it. Bring a friend. <laughs>